You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Well, good morning. Let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to our text for this morning, which is Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I don't know if you feel like this. I certainly do. Time is flying by. I was just talking this morning with someone outside who, when they got the little email that I sent about this being a prayer and, uh, p- prayer and pizza Sunday, that they thought I had sent it a week early because they didn't realize another month had passed. And it just feels like our lives are moving so quickly by. And of course, if you're visiting with us this morning, this is a Sunday, last Sunday of the month, when we have uh, decided to embed what was our monthly prayer gathering uh, on this evening into our worship service so that more of us can pray together and we can make prayer a more central part of our experience as a church. And then we enjoy pizza outside uh, in the fellowship hall and then around the church. And so it's a, it's a wonderful time for us to be together, and we look forward to doing that today. And actually what that means is that the, the time of, of, for the sermon is abbreviated a bit because we also celebrate the Lord's Supper on this last Sunday. Now, it might seem when you hear that, that it's an abbreviation of the preaching of God's word, but actually it's not because when we celebrate the Lord's Supper or when one of the pastors or someone stands and opens God's word for us or even today when we pray together, it is a proclamation of what we believe. It's a proclamation of the gospel. So in fact, on this Sunday, it seems to me that our proclamation is actually growing. It's involving more of us and in more dimensions. And that's really what we want. We need the gospel more and more every day, especially as we feel our lives kind of fleeting away from us as I do. I'm reminded of how the Bible tells us and cautions us to be aware of that reality in saying that all flesh, that's us, is like grass, that we quickly fade away. Or the Bible tells us that our life is like a vapor. It's here one moment and gone the next. And that actually is a helpful introductory thought for us to carry into this text this morning as we want to consider what the letter to the Galatians is really all about, and we continue to unpack it over coming weeks, and that is the law of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in particular this morning, what does it mean to run with purpose? We come to this text and we find the Apostle Paul sharing a bit more of his heart and we see how he viewed his life and and what he seemed to be concerned about. And our prayer this morning is that as we look at these verses over these next few moments, that they will impact us and they will plant some, some new gospel seeds in our hearts to help us see our own lives more clearly. So the way that we're going to do that is by noticing in this brief time three key truths about the Apostle Paul and the way that he ran the race of life. Let's notice this first, that Paul ran with a unique gospel purpose. We might even say in the more common way today, gospel-centered purpose. 
His life was centered upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what Jesus had done by coming into our world to live, die, and rise again for sinners like us, and that he is fulfilling all of God's promises to his people, and he's carrying us forward through his Holy Spirit to the very end of this race when we will be with him forever without sin or sorrow. We will be in a place of happiness, easy, and we will be with him forevermore. And we want to see this morning here how Paul ran his race with this gospel purpose. And so I want to take you right down to verse 2, actually the very end of verse 2 to begin with, so that we can notice the metaphor that Paul uses and commonly uses when he thinks about his life. It actually is a striking metaphor for life, and that's the, the metaphor of running. He says there in verse 2, I went up according to a revelation and presented to them, this is, as it says in verse 1, a kind of council of leaders at the time. It's a little confusing when it says in verse 1 that after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along also. There's a little confusion about exactly what that was. Is it the Jerusalem council that's in Acts? Is it another kind of meeting? Because this one seems to be a private meeting with some leaders. But what we know is he had gone up to these leaders for the purpose of gaining agreement and clarity on exactly what is the Christian message. And so he says, I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. Those are non-Jewish people, but privately to those recognized as leaders. And I did this, listen to this part, to make sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. This is a key metaphor or picture the Apostle Paul maps onto his life when he thinks about what he's doing day in and day out. He thinks about his life as a race. I think most of us probably have some kind of metaphor. There are lots of them that you could think of, and many of them have a lot of value. You could think for a minute about how you see your life. If you slow down a little and think about the picture of your life, what is life like for you? Some of us would think of life like a journey, similar to Paul, but maybe not running. Maybe it's a journey of walking. Maybe it's a a hike through challenging mountains. Or you might think of your life as a book and the turning of pages. We're the turning fast now, and your life is just passing by chapter by chapter. Maybe you think of your life like a garden, that this is what God is doing in you. He is growing in you his truth. Uh, the more aggressive of the room might think of their lives as a battle, as a fight every day, a fight against sin, a fight for truth. Others who are more artistic might think of their lives as a canvas, and your life is being painted on the canvas, hopefully to the glory of God and to to the good and happiness of your own soul. Others of us might think of our our life as a movie, as a series of scenes that are playing out with a bunch of characters involved and and plot twists along the way. It's important to think about our lives in some way, to have some picture. If perhaps you don't have one, or maybe even if you do, let me suggest that you take for yourself even this one that Paul uses, because it's a uniquely powerful metaphor. I think that's why Paul uses it, the metaphor of running. It shows what Paul's concern was. It shows that his his concern was to run 
not in vain, but if we just take the opposite of that, but to run with a particular purpose. He, he didn't want at the end of his life for, to look back and think, what a vain life I ran. How much time I wasted. I was so focused on the wrong things. Maybe good things, but the wrong things. And so this is a great call this morning for us as we contemplate what it means to be a Christian and as we pray together and we, we rally together as a church, what it means to be a part of our church. It gives us a chance to think about this. Are you running in vain? Recently, I went down a rabbit hole with a few other people here as we started watching a, a prominent um, ultra marathon that was happening in Europe. And we kind of, kind of locked on to a few runners that were running what was a race over 100 miles through the mountains. And uh, many of these runners would go through two full nights without sleeping. Now, hallucinating and, 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 and going on a very little fuel and trying to make it to the finish, just trying, many of them trying to make it to the finish. In fact, in this race, though, the person who won the race outright was a guy named Jim Walmsley, and who has been, become over the recent years like a really prominent ultra runner. And so as I kind of got into that and started looking more at his story, I found a little documentary on YouTube called Found on 49. And this is a story about when Jim Walmsley ran another endurance race called the Western States 100. And he ran this with so much preparation and fitness that he intended, it might have even been his first 100-mile race, of setting the course record. And so he sets off, and he is on a blistering pace through the, the hills and the mountains and the desert. And it's in, he's like two hours ahead of the course record. And then they come to one of the final checkpoints at 92 miles into this race, and he's nowhere to be found. He doesn't show up at the aid station. No one knows where he is until quite a while later they find him on Route 49. He had taken a wrong turn. 92 miles into the race, he took a wrong turn, finished 20th, crushed him felt as though the, the whole thing had been run in vain. That's what Paul is concerned about. That's what Paul doesn't want to happen with not just a race in the desert, but with his entire life that he's living. And so we want to know, why does Paul think this way, and what, is, what does this really mean to him? We'll, we'll see that in a moment. But first, just notice that it is important to think carefully about your life. Because we live in a culture that's constantly telling us, you can live however you want to, and it doesn't really matter. As long as you live, and as long as you're happy, then all is well. But that's not true. Because Paul could have done a myriad of other things with his life that probably would have made him happy. And yet, in the end, he would have lived, he would have run in vain. He knows, like us, that he's a man under a master. And he cannot live any way that he wants. He cannot believe any way that he wants, not if he's going to run with purpose. So the first reminder this morning, first application to our lives is simply that. We all would do well just to think a little more carefully about our lives. What metaphor fits your life? And how is that thing going? Is it a race? Is it a garden? Is it a movie? Is it a book? Whatever it may be, 
How is it going? Are you living? Are you painting? Are you reading? Are you writing? Are you running with purpose? I want to recommend to you, if you want to look more into that in detail, a book called What's Best Next by Matt Perman. And you say, like, do I need to read a book about this thing? Is it that big of a deal? It really is. It really is that big of a deal. You should read more than one book about this. I guarantee you that the Apostle Paul was, was thinking and meditating and praying and perhaps reading all kinds of things to ensure that he didn't run his race in vain. This is the first, first truth we want to see, that Paul ran with this gospel purpose. His life was all about the gospel. But what does that mean? Here's the next truth. When Paul ran his race, he ran it with a gospel purpose by being committed to a grace-centered message. That probably sounds really obvious to most of us, but it's not as obvious as you think. He was committed to a grace-centered message. Paul is expressing here a kind of fear, a healthy kind of fear. He's afraid of running his race in vain. But what would that mean for him? For many of us, and rightly so, it's, it's good, it's right, we think about our lives in more earthly terms, maybe. We think about what would it mean for us to live our lives in vain. It might mean that we didn't accomplish what we wanted to. Maybe I didn't get all the way to the level of, of, of uh, success in my job that I wished, or you know, I didn't spend enough time with my kids. All of those things are important. But for the Apostle Paul, what is he afraid of? What does it mean for him to run in vain? And this is basically what it is. If you boil down what Paul lives for and writes about, he's lived his life in vain if he's lived a life that confuses the law and the gospel. If he doesn't get the gospel right in his own heart and life, in his own proclamation to other people, that for him is his life lived in vain. That's really what it comes down to. He's most concerned about that relationship. Sometimes we call it the distinction between the law and the gospel. It's a way of us understanding as Christians what is the relationship between God's law, his righteous expectations, his commandments in the Ten Commandments, and more, the way he's revealed his character to us, and by that, how we should live our lives and the good news of Jesus Christ, which is not about us uh, at all in the sense of something that we need to do. It's not a list of commands. It's not a, a way to live. It's not something that you can, in that way, obey because it's an announcement. It's a proclamation to us, not of what we have to do, right? The gospel is a proclamation to us about what someone else did. It's an announcement of only good news with no mixture of bad news whatsoever. The gospel has no bad news in it. It's all good news. The bad news, the bad news, of course, comes from the law because the bad news is what tells us that we're sinners and that we cannot justify ourselves. And that right there is Paul's biggest problem. That's his fear. I'll put it in my words to summarize what he thinks we see across this writing he would say something like this. I don't want to live a life in which I look to the law to satisfy God. I don't want to, if I live a life like that, if I live my life in relationship to God on the basis of my works 
and my works are what make me righteous. My works are the things, good works are the things that will comfort me. They're the things that make me valuable. They're the things that satisfy me. Then in the end, I lived my life in vain. And he does not want to live his life in vain. And neither should we. We don't want to live our lives in vain. But this is important because this has everything to do with you. And it has everything to do with me. Because guess what? Every person in this room is a recovering legalist. Every person in this room. Because the law is written on our hearts, and sin is in our hearts, and put together, we want to justify ourselves. We want to be able to do something that says, I'm in God's favor because I did what I was supposed to do. I prayed the right prayer. I did the right things. I gave enough money. I read enough Bible, right? This is Paul's big conflict, and this is what he's concerned about. And you see it kind of play out as he goes here and and meets with these leaders. He says, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled, perhaps by the arguments he was hearing there from these Judaizers. They were trying to convince Christians that they really had to keep the law and they had to be circumcised in order to be real, you know, really in the faith. That not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. He says in verse 4, this matter arose because, listen to this, some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. Like These are big stakes. This is a big deal to Paul. This is the way he sees the problem all around him, is that there are these legalistic people infiltrating the ranks and trying to convince Christians who trust in Christ through faith alone, by grace alone, not by works. They don't relate to God on the basis of their works for their righteousness, that they really should that you really should make sure that you're righteous by doing all of these other things. And if you don't, I'm not really sure that you're a Christian. Right? We have those things too, right? We have those things. Because we look at people that we're not sure they're Christians, and usually, usually it comes down because we think that they're doing something unlawful. Well, you know, they drink. I'm not really sure if they're Christians. Well, you know, they smoke. I'm not really sure if they're Christians. I mean, listen to the language that comes out of their mouth. I'm not really sure that they're Christians. And while that absolutely can be an evidence of of the nature of our hearts, the condition of our hearts before God, it has nothing to do with whether or not God has saved us by grace alone, does it? But that's the way we think about it. That's the way I tend to think about it. And Paul is afraid of thinking about things that way. Because he knows that if, if he allows that thought to take root in his heart, he will be derailed from the gospel-centered focus of his life, the grace-centered message that he proclaims, and he will fall in with everyone else back in to the legalism of the day and miss out on all of the freedom and all of the joy of knowing Christ according to the true gospel. Life is full of difficult choices between good things. You have to choose every day what you're going to eat, and they're usually good things. Are you going to have pepperoni pizza or are you going to have cheese pizza? You've got to choose, and they're both good things. You have to choose between jobs. Maybe I have two job options, and I have to choose between the two. That's a great great gift of God in this world that you get to choose between good things. This is one of those choices. 
You have to choose. Are you going to relate to God on the basis of your works in the law, which is a good thing? Or are you going to relate to God today on the basis of grace alone, which is a good thing? But that decision is infinitely more important than pepperoni or cheese, isn't it? Because if you eat pepperoni or cheese, it doesn't mean you lived your life in vain. But if you choose, if you choose to live your Christian life by the law, it will. It will. You will have missed so so much. You will have missed so much joy in Christ. It has everything to do with the way that we see our lives and the way that we see our world. Do you know what happens tonight at sundown? Right here among many Jewish neighbors, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. That's tonight. For 24 hours, many of our Jewish neighbors who we love and cherish and pray for, they will abstain from food and drink and wearing leather shoes and work and other intimate things that they would do in their, in their marriages. You see, they will do that to try to atone for their sin. This is what Paul is afraid of. That's the kind of life that he's, he's being tempted by the false brothers that are coming in and infiltrating the ranks because he knows that the gospel is better than the law. And he wants us to live by it. This has been a central theme through the greatest moments and eras of church history. The Puritans, the reformers were so, so serious about this distinction between the law and the gospel. It was at the heart of what John Bunyan wrote about in Pilgrim's Progress. It's at the heart of all of their writings. If you just go look for it, it'll pop off the page. Here's one, one such writer from the 1700s, I believe, named John Berridge. This is, sometimes it's attributed to John Bunyan, sometimes John Berridge. But listen to the way it puts this distinction. Run, John, and work, the law commands, yet finds me neither feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and lends me wings. That's a beautiful statement of this distinction between the two. The law says to us, do this and you will live. It brings bad news to sinners like you and me, because guess what? We haven't done it. You cannot do it. You're never going to do it. But the gospel says something different. It says something freeing. It says, live. And now you can do this. And now you can obey God. And now you can obey him the right way, not to atone for your sins, but to celebrate his atonement for you in Christ. It's a really beautiful thing, but it's an important distinction. And we must watch for this. Paul is on guard against this infiltration of law in place of the gospel. He is not only concerned, hear this, he's not only concerned about false religion. He's even more concerned about false Christianity, a melding of law and gospel together so that you lose both. So what should we do? Second application, we need to become students of this law-gospel distinction. It could be that you're like I was not too long ago. This is the first time you heard about this. This is the first time you ever heard law-gospel distinction. And now, and now you know. So start reading up. There's all kinds of resources. I would, okay, another book. The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification by Walter Marshall. Get the one that's written in the more readable English. You'll thank me for it. The Gospel Mystery 
of Sanctification by Walter Marshall. It's perhaps the greatest book ever written on the process of sanctification because it gets at the heart of what it means to live with Christ according to the gospel and not according to the law. It's a beautiful thing. So get that book. There are copies of it on the shelf, believe it or not. I just realized that. They're right up there on the right-hand, top right-hand corner. There's maybe five or six. Grab one, take it home, start reading a little every day, and feed your soul on this important truth. But let's look at the last truth this morning before we celebrate the Lord's Supper to see what Paul was doing with his life. How was he running? Why was this so important to him? It is really because Paul knew that he was part of a gospel team. And Paul was in his life fulfilling a missionary vision within this gospel team. That's why he goes and he visits other Christians, uh, both in churches and also these other leaders. He's, he's going to find his place and to make sure that he is, he is part of this team in the most effective way. And that's really what he did. It's, a, it's an interesting thing to me because I don't usually think of Paul this way. We usually think of him as like a loner, like he's at the top, he's the leader, everybody's following him, he's the most important cog in the machine. But that's really not true, is it? Because he's simply one of them. He's part of a collective team within a gospel or missionary vision. We think of him as the head, but rather he's part of this collective vision. And that's really part of what he, we read about when he, he writes about the church being like a body and it has different body parts and, and you can't exclude one part without damaging the rest of the body. You know, you might not have thought of this, but Paul sees himself as one of those parts. He doesn't see himself as the whole body. He's not writing that just to us. He's writing that even to himself. And so that's sort of what happens here. It says in verse 6, now, from those recognized as important, what they really were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. He, he went and he shared the gospel and he heard what they had to say and he realized, no, that is not the gospel. This is the gospel and I'm going to carry on. He says in verse 7, on the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised, since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to, be, to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. And then listen to this, you get to see the way he fits into the team. When James and Cephas and John recognized his pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me. They gave me the right hand of fellowship. Uh, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So they come together as a team and they make this plan of who's going to go to whom or where, and they take the gospel around the world. And Paul was tasked with taking the gospel to the Gentiles. That's us. He took the gospel to us. Because if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, and he was taking the gospel to you. Had a special place in his heart for you, and we want to have that same kind of heart in our church, and the same kind of team mentality. That's why we focus a lot on this thing called the pipeline, to try to help everyone with, in particular, Roger's help as the pipeline director, find their place. So as a final application this morning, I want to encourage you to do just that. Think today, this week, sometime, maybe even with a community group leader or someone else, where is your place in this body? Are you plugged in the way the Apostle Paul sought to be plugged in? Do you find, have a role to play? If you don't, we want you to have a role to play. So make sure that you speak up so that we can find that place for you. Because we want to be a body that is focused on 
running, not in vain, but with this significant gospel purpose. And to be committed together, we're much better together as many voices in one proclaiming the grace-centered message of the gospel. And God has given us so many gifts here. He's given us so much truth in his word. We don't want to waste any of it. We do not as a church want to live in vain. We want to move forward with real purpose. And taking the Lord's Supper together, celebrating what Jesus has done for us is a big part of that. I want to invite those who are going to be handing out the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward now as I just give a few instructions on on what it means to take the Lord's Supper. You can go ahead and come down. (laughs) 